if you grow up in Switzerland, you most likely stay in Switzerland, right? Most people do. <laughs> but ETH is the place then to go to where, where you have access to whatever you want to do, right? Whatever you're interested in. That's so diverse from engineering to science to even, you know, more political security and risk. In this episode, I'm talking to Felix Seidel. He's a research scientist at NASA's JPL or Jet Propulsion Lab, and he shares with us how ETH Zurich influenced him in his career and continues to be important for him today. I'm Susan Kish, host of the We Are ETH podcast, telling the story of the alumni and friends of the ETH Zurich, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. ETH regularly ranks amongst the top universities in the world with cutting-edge research, science, and people. The people who were there, the people who are there, and the people who will be there. These are their stories. So if you could first tell, how did you first learn about ETH? You grew up here in Zurich, right? Yes, correct. So did you always want to go to the ETH? I don't think so. I, d I don't think I knew about ETH for quite a while. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a different environment, not in the academic environment. Yeah. Uh, my parents were more in, in, in art. Mm -hmm. You said your dad was an actor on radio? He was an actor at uh, Schauspielhaus Zurich and, right. and uh, on the radio as well, and film as well. And my mom was a dancer, so. Very cool. <laughs> so no ETH in the family, really, but, but that came later, yeah. So what was the trigger? You wanted to learn to be a pilot, is that right? Right, yeah, exactly. Okay. That, that started really early, maybe before 10 or maybe even at the age of uh, 8 or something. You can't fly a plane when you're 8 years old. Oh, um, I, mentally it worked. <laughs> <laughs> it's the very first flight simulator that worked as well on the computer. So now, oh, is that right? Yeah. So that, that's how it started. Mm -hmm. And I started um, with about 16, age of 16, with flying. I did the uh, FIOS, the... Or the, like basic pilot training for the Swiss Air Force. And that's where I learned about uh, meteorology, about okay. the weather. I learned that uh, if you fly against the sun, it's harder to see than if you fly away from the sun. That seems intuitive. I learned how, you know, hot air rises and creates clouds. And those uh -huh. are two things I'm still working on these days. So, and I got so fascinated by this. This was the, the most fun part of all. And I realized that I want to learn more about this. I want to understand well, how this works, how it, it's connected to each other, because I only knew the pieces, only the relevant pieces you need to know as a pilot. I don't know how exactly, but I found, okay, ATL is the place I have to go because there I can study climatology. So you finished up your matura, you went to the ETH, and you said, I want to study climate. And was there a climatology department, or what did you actually end up as your field research? Yeah, that's still the uh, EATA, the Institute of Atmosphere and Climate, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I had to go through the whole, uh, you know, basic study the first couple of years and right. fail a first diploma, <laughs> or the, the, the first four diploma, which I would say was one of my um, richest, not best, but richest <laughs> experiences. Experience good. It taught you resilience at an early age. Resilience and perseverance. Good. So you just mourned for a night and went out and had a beer and then you came back and studied and took it again yeah a little more than one year but <laughs> it was more later that i realized you know how important it is to fail that if you succeed or if you the worst is if you barely succeed you just make it 
into the next level, but you may not have really understood or mm -hmm. comprehended, you know, the whole depth. But if you can go back and have one more year, it really helps you to really understand what's going on and which makes it so interesting, which opens up, you know, so many new doors, whereas if you just scratch at the surface. And I only had this opportunity by going back one year, resetting the button, basically, and, and go at it again. So after you finished ETH, what did you do then? Even before I ended ETH, it was um, towards the end, you know, in the second last year, mm -hmm. when I finally went through, you know, all the difficult things that I was less interested in and finally got to do the, the climatology I always wanted to. I had the opportunity to go to uh, Hawaii for an internship. Oh, how cool. And, and was, you said no. And I said, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. And okay. I actually started just by, I wanted to go to, um, to Hawaii because my now wife, she yeah. was at the time in Hawaii working and I, I went to my professor here at ETH. Uh, Atsuo Mura and, and ask him, is there anything I can do in Hawaii? And he said, <laughs> hmm, let me get back to you. And like next week he said, call this number. Yeah. And that's what I did. And a few months later I was in Hawaii. Did you work at that climate observatory unit that they keep quoting for? Mauna Loa? Uh, yeah, Mauna Loa. No, I never even was up there. But I was working at the International Pacific Research Center. Oh, that sounds cool. Which studies uh, climate aspects in the in the Pacific area, and which is um, it's it's a collaboration between Japan and the U.S., which was fundamental for me in, in mm -hmm. learning um, how you know different countries can collaborate in research, and and that carries all the way through today for my motivations as well. What was the professor that you mentioned that uh, that made that call? Yeah, that was Professor Atsumo Mura. And was he Japanese? He was Japanese, yes. Swiss, so there was a Swiss little well, yeah. mm -hmm. connecting all those oh, yes. dots. Yes, so the, the person I had to call was, I think, his first student when he still was in Japan. That's my understanding, which at the time already, that was 2001, I believe, or 2000, became a director of the um, a university which oversaw the IPRC, the International Pacific Research Center. So it's, it's those connections, right, which you can make through ETH, which can set you on an entirely different path. Now, somewhere along the way, you applied to be an astronaut, which I thought was wicked cool, as we say in Boston. Um, how did that come about? Why would you not apply? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> it sounds really hard. It is really hard, mm -hmm. but uh, that I like things that are really hard. I get that impression. <laughs> <laughs> And it's a really um, interesting experience that you have to be 100% motivated, obviously, but also convinced that you're able to do it. And at the same time, you know, you're not going to do it at all, right? There's just no chance. There's five, six people out of the whole Europe. They select every, I don't know, 12 years or something. Claude Nicolet was the, the first and so far the only Swiss uh, astronaut, right, that was selected. Oh, that's right, because it's the European it's, Space Agency. The, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's super hard. It's impossible, if you will. But Did you take time off to do this? Um, a little bit, yeah. I prepared. You know, most time it took me to uh, finish the application. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first big step in the selection. And then you just sort of filed that, figured if it happened, it happened. I got to move on with my life. Or how does that work? It's, is, is your application still on file? I think that's what I'm asking. Oh, no, it's not. I don't okay. think so. <laughs> no, they, they just had the second um, or, or the next round of, uh, of applications, which are pending, I think, right now. And after you went 
tried that? You worked for the Swiss government doing some research? Or what were the programs you did for the satellite images and, right. and areas like that? Well, that was the other opportunity I, I, I had along the way. That was right after. Actually, it was still tied to ATL because mm -hmm. when I did my uh, master thesis, and I was influenced by my experience in, in Hawaii, mm -hmm. right, where I, for the first time I, I learned to use uh, satellite data and apply them to solve big questions that we have in climatology. And I didn't see this happening here at ETH. And I brought that back to ETH and said, can we do this here as well? Can we use satellite data? Who's, who's using satellite data? No one was How using satellite data at ETH. But someone told me, go to Unitsuri. There's uh, remote sensing. Which is like next door, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was in the geography department in the remote sensing uh, laboratories. I found there a person who was willing to uh, mentor me for my master thesis, and I was able to pick my own topic. And I, I went to Meteor Schweiz as well to ask them, Meteor Schweiz, about um, you know potential topics. And then I picked the people who could help me, and there was this one person there and one person from uh, ETH as well. And they together helped me do the master thesis. And that was using satellite data in order to answer, again, was like humidity in, in, in Africa. In right? Africa. I wanted to look oh. at trends in the humidity. And by the way, it's a research topic that's still ongoing. So I, I could have stayed on that. <laughs> For the probably, last 15 years. Probably should have. I would have more publications <laughs> by now. But you this, had a but, long list of publications. But, <laughs> not quite. But this person at the time, left then to work for the Swiss government for the Swiss Space Office, okay, which is the interface between the Swiss government or Switzerland and ESA, European okay. Space Agency. And he left behind a position at the so-called NPLT, the National Point of Contact for Satellite Data, which was loc located partly at Unizuri mm -hmm. and also at the um, Swiss Topo in, in Bern. And he was leading that NPLT and he basically told me, I need someone. Right? Can you do this job? Oh, very cool. And again, you know, a challenge. I said, yes, sure. I had no <laughs> idea what to do. But <laughs> Doesn't sound like you were inhibited by a lot of fear in terms of trying things. Maybe I should have had more fear. No, no I don't think so. No, fear isn't fun. Uh -uh. <laughs> so, and that's why you did that point of contact for satellite images. Right. And did you start to get the ETH to look at using satellite data? Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> There's and geodesy. At Hönkeberg, there's mm -hmm. there's used to be uh, I think one person at the time who started using radar uh, remote sensing and and some part of ETH in uh, Geodesy they used uh, airborne images for quite a long time as well. There, there's a strong heritage there, but to do the jump to use satellite data for research, I haven't seen that happening yet too much. Got and, it. And actually nowhere really in Switzerland for the topics I'm interested in, in climatology and atmosphere. How did you get from doing the point of contact to, because shortly thereafter, it sounds like the timing overlaps, you went to the U.S. to do postdoc and to do work at the Caltech. Yeah, the postdoc was after, so I, I did the uh, NPLT work right after uh, my master thesis here. Okay. And it was, again, this tremendous opportunity. I, had, I could influence the Swiss-based policy. I That's cool. I could interview people all the way through the, the uh, Swiss government to some really high levels within the government. And, and um, we came up with the idea of having a, a geo hub, like a, a, point of a point of contact or a center of excellence for geospatial data, okay. which still exists at the Department of Foreign Affairs. I was located at in academia, basically, and everybody around me was doing a, a PhD. So my professor 
Klaus Eaton at the time, who himself was in the U.S., by the way, um, working for NASA as well, an ESA applicant together with okay. Claude Nicolier. <laughs> so he, he basically asked me one day, like, why don't you do a PhD? And I felt, that's a good idea, let's do this. <laughs> so, so you just decided to move up and... So I did a PhD in parallel to working, and I reduced my workload a little bit, and then a PhD, which was a bad idea. <laughs> well, it's a lot of work. <laughs> what was your PhD on? I read the title and realized I completely didn't understand the topic. So this connects the dots to what I said at the beginning, from where my whole motivation started, from, from flying. Right. So we're flying against the sun, and the visibility that changed... Right. right, or if if you drive as well, you have the same. Through that, I wanted to better understand how light propagates through the atmosphere. Okay. How it comes from the sun, it goes through the atmosphere to the ground, reflects, goes to clouds and reflects there, and this being scattered in the atmosphere and absorbed. And all these processes together make what if you go out and and see how the visibility changed. This is how it's made up. And I was then uh, in my PhD. Um, programming a little, you know, like a software code that can simulate what happens with the radiation in the atmosphere. And that became the topic for your, your uh, PhD For thesis. the PhD, exactly. So you decided you liked California. You brought your family over. What, what, what ended up causing you to live? Again, serendipity. <laughs> <laughs> that was my other professor, who's now um, uh, director of University of, of Zurich, um, came to me one day as well when I was, I think, already um, defending my PhD and said, look, there's a, there's a job open at uh, Chap Propulsion Laboratory. And they meet, may need the skills you have. He knew the person who was putting out the, the job at JPL, so that helped again. Mm -hmm. And I applied and was interviewed and, and was selected. And two days prior, learned that uh, we had a son. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> that must have been an exciting time. And right after being asked, uh, would you like to go to California? Right. And then that was interesting. <laughs> Got it. Now, did you wait until your son was born or did you move in the midst of pregnancy? We moved in the midst. Oh, boy. You can we tell moved. you're a guy. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how was that move? I mean, what were the big challenges of that move outside of a baby on the way? You know, those are the good things about stressful times. Uh, which uh, I think when innovation happens, a lot <laughs> of good things happen in stressful times, it's mm -hmm. my opinion, because you don't have enough time, not enough resources, so you don't think too much. So you just gave, go from A to B and, and just do what you have to do, and it works. It was a stressful time. And we arrived, and it was um, a bit of a culture shock. Yeah, I bet it was. And I learned when I went later, we lived two and a half years in the East Coast in Washington, D.C., um, that felt like going halfway back to Switzerland, culture-wise, weather-wise, and so on. So we moved 2011 to Pasadena, became an employee at JPL, and then was asked to go to uh, NASA headquarters in Washington, D.C. That was a fun. Do you still miss Switzerland and living here? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds but, like your family at least gets to spend summers here. So I would think everybody who grew up, you know, who's leaving... We'll miss Switzerland. It's just, it's just a beautiful place. What are the three things you miss the most? Family. And then right after, there's, there's many things. There's, um, it's nature. Mm -hmm. It's the mountains. There's some things I don't miss as well. <laughs> just, so you, you start learning the, you know, living two different lives and, and, and use, you know, benefit from, from the pros and the cons. 
in a pretty good way if you live in two different places or if, if you live in the States and you can come back to Switzerland for your vacation. I think this is almost an, an optimum. That sounds right. So, Felix, tell me, what is it that as a research scientist at JPL now, what is it you actually do? What's your day like? I'm working on about seven different projects at That's the time. So the, the one project is, is it's called Atmospheric Observing System, which is a really big NASA mission that's currently in, in uh, pre-formulation. Uh, we'll launch uh, a few satellites by the end of the decade, and we'll look at uh, how climate will change and about the processes that underlie climate change regarding aerosols, those are particles in the atmosphere, mm-hmm. the clouds, the dynamics, and that, again, ties back, by the way, to the other point from flying lessons, right? Oh, right. which was flying a glider, you have to use the, the thermals. And this is caused by differences in, in heating. And this you know, is causing turbulences in the air and mm-hmm. is uh, either building clouds or inhibiting the building of clouds. And this is exactly what we're going to study with this mission as well. By the way, do you still have your license, your pilot license? No. Oh. I have two kids now, so... <laughs> It probably takes up that time that used to be spent <laughs> exactly, in the plane. Exactly. The other part of my work has a different title. It's um, a program manager for atmospheric composition. When you talk about atmospheric composition, I know that satellite imagery, for example, is used to detect methane. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was mm-hmm. a big announcement just in the press yesterday, I think, mm-hmm. about some a facility in Russia that just gave off this huge mm-hmm. plume. Is that the kind of atmospheric composition? Are you also looking at carbon dioxide and methane and... Those absolutely. elements. Yes, absolutely. That's an overlapping part with uh, carbon cycle as well, which is another thematic area we have at NASA. What is it that really made the difference from ETH? How would your life be different if you hadn't gone to the ETH? It would be entirely different. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have known where I could go to study uh, climatology, where I could learn about the processes in the atmosphere. I mean, having access, um, if, if, if you grow up in Switzerland, you most likely stay in Switzerland, right? Most people do. Mm-hmm. Some don't. <laughs> but ETH is the place then to go to where, where you have access to whatever you want to do, right? whatever you're interested in. And it's so diverse from engineering to science to even you know more political security and risk. You are a member of the ETH circle. And as such, it sounds like you're quite involved in the mentoring program. What is that program and what do you do with it? Yeah, so that's... <laughs> goes back to, I think, the, the origins of ETH circle, at least from my perspective. Right. Um, and that started at, at the um, embassy, the Swiss embassy in Washington, D.C., where we had sort of a kickoff meeting. And I was asked, would you be most interested in what should ETH circle do? And for me, the most important piece of ETH is mm-hmm. the people. As you said, the people who were there are there and will be there. The secret sauce is the people that are there. So that's why mentoring for me is is front and center. I, I explained before, right, how um, people help me to get on a path, find opportunities that I was not even aware of mm. and have shaped my career. And, and I'd like to do the same for others. Just to close, a couple very important questions. When you come back to Zurich, uh, what's your favorite place to go for a coffee or a drink or a walk? I would say... <laughs> BQM. <laughs> the BQM here at ETH, this is where I'm going to meet a, a fellow JPLer who's now in Switzerland as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a great place to, to meet. Where to is meet the BQM? It's right next to the cafeteria here in the Hauptgebäude. No kidding. Okay. And I spent 
quite some interesting hours there, <laughs> which were <laughs> which were really helpful for for networking and and um, you know having a good time at ETH. Really, when you were small, what did you want to be when you grew up? Okay, I, I explained the pilot before. That yeah. really was that's really obvious. But there's one more other thing that was cook, but that was a much chef? earlier a chef. I, oh, very cool. I, and I have no idea why. And if you'd ask my wife, she would laugh. <laughs> I'm but not a cool. cook at all. <laughs> and is there a um, a story or an anecdote from the years you were at studying here that you'd like to share? Sort of a specific thing that happened or that you remember. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big a, smile. <laughs> a, a funny one is that I was sitting in the um, in, in the lectures and listening and thinking like I have no clue what the professor is talking about, <laughs> but I'll figure out. <laughs> I'll take really good notes and look it up afterwards. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was a great conversation. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us, Felix. Thank you, Susan. It was a pleasure. I'm Susan Kish, host of the We Are ETH podcast series. Please subscribe to this podcast and join us wherever you listen. And give us a good rating on Spotify or Apple if you enjoyed today's conversation. I'd like to thank our producers at ETH Circle and LA Media GmbH, and thank you, our listeners, for joining us. <laughs> <laughs>